Turn with me, please, to the epistle of John, the first one, first John, chapter 5. We're going to be looking at two verses. We learn in Proverbs 30 that every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. It is amazing what is often found in one or two verses of Scripture. We have the Word of God, and when God opens our heart to behold His truth, it expands out wondrously. And uh, we could never in a thousand lifetimes fully expound from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. I think John Gill is the only man who ever wrote a commentary throughout. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary but was unable to finish it. Someone else did. And uh, so, uh, but his commentary uh, you could also take and you could, you could uh, begin looking at things and expand out from things there. So, we have the word of the living God. So in 1 John... Chapter 5, think of the weight of the words in these verses. The solemnness of what is here. The instruction to us we may find here. The Apostle John wrote, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, a Christian leader from hundreds of years ago gave a challenge, a challenge that is still challenging. Survey the whole world. And show me even one of whom it can be affirmed with truth that he overcomes the world who is not a Christian and endowed with this faith. That's quite a statement. That's quite a statement. Of course, that will cause us to have to consider what the world means in this particular verse or these verses. And uh, <clears throat> realize that no matter how strong one may be in themselves, they cannot overcome the world. The world will overcome them unless they are begotten of God. The Apostle John has a lot to say about that begetting of God in this epistle. He gives marks throughout it. Now, when I began the public ministry of the Word of God, I think it was one of the first, if not the first message I proclaimed to find the marks of the new birth in First John. And of course, here we have a mark that those who are begotten of God overcome the world. You see, only the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else delivers from this present world that is denominated in Galatians 1.4, this present evil world who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Either we are of the world or we are of God's kingdom in Christ. And so no one but those who are so delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ overcome the world because we have died to it in him. That's why Paul could say in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And of course, when we think of the world and its creation, that's not what John is talking about. When we look at the marvels of God's creation, we worship Him for that. We rejoice when we see, even at this time of year, the beauty of the leaves. No one can 
paint the countryside like God himself. I mean, it is beautiful we see these things. We worship him. He has given us the seasons. The seasons change. They have their purpose. And despite what the climate control people tell us, the word of God distinctly declares that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, night and day, these things will not change. So that we rejoice in all of these things that have their purpose in creation. I can go outside often and look at the stars, and I think many times the prayer of Nehemiah comes to heart. Thou... Even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. We were just down at the coast a while back. Beneath the waters, life is teeming incredibly. God's creation is wondrous. It's not talking about the world in the sense of the creation of the earth and the creation of the heavens and the earth not talking about the world in the sense simply of people. We are to love people. We are to care for them. We are to be a help as much as we can to be a testimony unto them. And so what is it talking about? It's the world considered in its fallen state since the sin of Adam, since the usurpation of the dominion that God gave to Adam over the creation usurped by that old serpent, the devil, and Satan, who becomes denominated as the god of this world, little g, and the prince of the power of the air, who moves in all of the children of disobedience, as we learn in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Unbeknownst, yes, but he moves in men. And it's a solemn thing that we live in a world that has fallen from God, in that respect, an apostate world under the controlling influence of the prince of darkness. It's this sense in which God commands us through John the Apostle not to love it, as in the second chapter, verses 15 through 17, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that characterizes the world in its fallen state, man fulfilling the desires of his fallen nature. And the islet allowing things in that move and influence to evil. Oh, we ought to be careful of that because we live in a day when you have to be careful of all media or you'll open yourself up to that which is horrendously sinful and wrong and vile. We have to be very, very careful. In the pride of life, man wants to be his own God. That's what happened in the fall. He wants to be the captain of his own salvation. He wants to do that which is self-centered, self-concerned. And so we have this world in its fallen sense. Another wrote, Here the forces of the world system of evil, the flesh, totally depraved nature, the devil, and the pernicious age system with which the saint is surrounded, are all engaged in a battle against the saint, carrying on an incessant warfare, the purpose of which is to ruin his Christian life and testimony. The adversary does not want you to bear a life of godliness in this world. He does not want you to bear the name of Jesus Christ in this world. And that can be felt by Christians. And so we have the world that we must overcome or else it overcomes us. It is a very solemn thing to think of. If the world is there to attempt to ruin your Christian life and your testimony, 
if it's there to influence you in every way it can to its ways and away from the ways of God and his truth, then it behooves you to learn well that the way or the way this fallen world is overcome, does it not? We're engaged in a warfare. This warfare is of the most serious type. When you and I, who are veterans, were in the military, war, we knew, was a horrendous thing. It took lives. And uh, yet, as serious as that kind of warfare could be, this warfare is even more serious. This warfare involves eternity, not just time. This is the most serious warfare we are engaged in. It is in the nature of this battle that only those who are really, genuinely born of God are aware, not simply that they overcome. They alone recognize it. They alone feel it and know it. Men have battles. Not all men have this battle. Yet those who are born of God have this battle every day. Every day of their lives in this world. They're aware of this battle. They have a constancy that must resist sin and the ways of this world. And what our verses are saying is that they are they who are born of God in truth are the victors in this warfare. Those who are genuinely begotten of God overcome. And the overcoming is so serious that when the promises of God are given through the Lord Jesus Christ in uh, the book of Revelation through John the Apostle, the promises that are given are all given to one kind of person. He that overcometh. He that overcometh. Those alone have those promises assured to them who are overcomers in this world. And the book of Revelation is not simply a horror movie as some seem to want to present it. It's teaching how the patience and faith of God's people is sustained under the greatest difficulty. And the old adversary who wars in his Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So our great question is, are we overcoming this sinful world? Are we among the overcomers? And are we being more and more separated from the ways of this world? Separated to our God through a genuine, a real, living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This faith is the only means by which we overcome the world. There is none other. It is the means that God uses. And so, let's consider the world that is always warring against us in verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, the first thing I want you to consider is that this is the world as apart from God. This is the world fallen from God. This is the world as antagonistic against the kingdom of God and to those in his kingdom. This means that there is a spiritual power behind it, this world system. And under its prince, it is denominated as in Galatians 1.4 again, an evil world. And by evil, we do not simply mean that immorality is in it. Yes, 
Immorality is evil, wrong, sin against God. But it means more than that. It's that which denies God His proper place. It ignores His will. Seeks its own way. And those who so ignore God and seek their own way, even if moral outwardly, they're still of the world. Of the world in its fallen condition. As a matter of fact, without exception, everyone apart from Christ and apart from His saving grace is under the control of this evil. Everyone in the world is under the control of the evil of this world, impelled from within and compelled from without. And as we say, only those who are truly in Christ begin to comprehend this. Only those who have been delivered from this present evil world only those whom God has given newness of life in Christ, begotten of Him by His wondrous sovereign grace, by His will, they alone can comprehend what was in the world and those who are of the world because they were of it. The worldling cannot comprehend the truly regenerate Christian. The regenerate Christian can comprehend the one that's in the world. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. The world cannot know the Christian. The Christian knows the world. Why? Because it's in Ephesians chapter 2, where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We've been there. We've been there. We know what it is. The solemn thing, as throughout Scripture we learn, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Far from God simply looking down some channel of time and seeing what one person would do or what they would choose and what another wouldn't, <laughs> he looked down and saw exactly what was in man. And <laughs> what did he see? In Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, I choose to accept what God says about it. How about you? And it's not just the world in its secular sense that is evil. Religion apart from Christ is evil. Incredibly evil. So that one could write, both the religious and the profane world are under the control of Satan in their ways, habits, customs, tastes, practices and aims and in these things are a great and subtle enemy to our souls you see this is about the one who's in Christ overcoming the world and uh, <clears throat> the world in this evil spiritual sense is comprised of fallen human nature under the influence of Satan very real devil Another described it in this way. The spirit of the world is hostile to godliness, dominated by carnal ambition, pride, avarice, self-pleasing, 
and sensuous desires and interests. Its opinions are false. Its aims selfish. Its pleasures sinful. Its influence thoroughly corrupt. Its honors an empty bauble. That means something that's showy but absolutely worthless. And this is the world, the one who has been brought by the redeeming blood of the Son of God, who has been brought by God's sovereign will into a regenerate state being begotten of him. This is the world, the Christian, who is a Christian in truth, has been delivered from. As again, Paul says in Galatians 1.4, concerning our blessed Savior who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And when he called one, when his gospel does a work in one, they are called out of the world. Not out of the world in the sense of being removed from it. They're called to be no longer of the world. No longer of the ways of the world. We read it together in John fifteen nineteen this morning. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hateth you. You're going to be in conflict with the world. It's going to be in conflict with you. It's going to do everything it can to press its wicked ways. It's going to use every medium it can against you. It's quite a warfare that one who is in Christ is engaged with. So I'm thankful for the prayers of our blessed Savior. I'm thankful when you can hear him cry and pray. When few hours before the cross in that upper chamber, he offers that great high priestly prayer in John 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is our guide. This is the light to our feet, the lamp to our path. This is where we learn the will of God from his word. And it's the world, this world, out of which the believer is to be called, not to be of its wicked ways, but set apart unto God, not conformed to the world. The Apostle Paul tells how this takes place in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that renewing of the mind comes in this regeneration, this new birth. That renewing of the mind gives us an understanding, a capacity we did not have before. We can discern between what is of the world, what is evil, and what is God's will, as made known to us in his word. And so, when John speaks of the world here, not the world is created, not simply the world of people, except as people are under the influence and power of Satan. And it is antagonistic against the kingdom of God. Then we consider this world as enticing. Enticing. The child of God, the child of God's kingdom, is not immune to the daily assaults of this world enticement. We simply possess the way to overcome it. If we weren't 
bombarded by this and the influence of the world, we would not need to have this teaching us the way to overcome it. And so, in order to this overcoming, there must be an influence. But the influence must be in us. There must be an influence within us that's greater than the influence that presses upon us from without. And the child of God becomes acutely aware that this sin influence not only presses from without, but even more strongly from within us. From within us. Wrong desires, things desired that are wrong, sinful, those desires are still in us. They have to be dealt with every day. Paul Remember in Ephesians 2, verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, manner of living, in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You see, what we now have the capacity to overcome is not to fulfill the desires of the flesh. We have to deal with them. We have to deal with them. You have to deal with them. You're going to have things that will enter into your desire that you have to admit, you have to completely resist. You have to be crucified to. You're going to have things within you when you lie in your bed at night that will war against you. You're going to have Thoughts that come into your mind that, yes, sometimes can be influenced by the wicked one, by the adversary himself. He wants nothing better than to keep you from walking with Christ and living for his glory in this world. Those who are in Christ have the capacity not to yield to it, to its influence. Indeed, the solemn reality is that if you could remove every outward enticement to sin, and they're there all over the place, you can't turn on the radio, television, you can't listen to a program, you can't read something without that enticement there of wrong, wickedness, sin. It's all about you, it's everywhere. You can't have an entertaining program, but there's going to be in it an influence to that which is against God and His truth. But could you remove all outward influences? You still have to contend with the ones that are inward. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we're all alone, then we find out how easy wicked thoughts can come. Wrong desires. That's a solemn thing to think about. They're going to be there at times. What John is talking about is overcoming. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And so... <clears throat> is still true that the heart directs the thoughts and actions. It's the heart that directs what we think, what we desire, what we want, what we will to do. It is the heart that does that. It's the place of our plans. And those plans will be self-centered unless God lives in us by His Spirit. Unless we truly have the desire to do what we do and live unto His glory and honor. Still true that the heart directs thoughts, actions, so that no one 
but those who truly possess a new heart, as the scripture teaches us, can overcome the world. The world from without and the world from within. You and I have to conquer the world within before we conquer it without. It has to be our heart that's kept with all diligence. You see, the Lord Jesus had to say to some who thought they were righteous, outwardly righteous, and kept all of the ceremonies and all of the regulations and did everything just right, that the problem wasn't outward. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. The Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, John, he was in a sinful world. He would have known and been confronted and recognized sin like none other ever did. On every hand, every day. And yet, he never sinned. Never by thought, deed, word. Our Lord never sinned. Because of who he was. His perfectly righteous character. Yes, he could converse with sinners, never contracting sin. You and I weren't in that case. We were born sinners. We came into this world loving sin, loving our own way, not wanting that which corrected us from wrong ways. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. You know, it's astounding to me. You read the scripture. Oh, that adversary, the old adversary, he is deceitful. He deceived our first parents. What a deceiver he is. They're men. They will lie. They will deceive in order to cover something or to get their way. But you know what the most deceitful thing under heaven is? The heart. The heart. John 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That implies until God makes it known, it, it won't be known. Man's in love with himself. He's the center of his universe. That's what happened in the fall, not God. And so, it requires something that was not gotten by nature when we came into this world. If we overcome this sinful world, it's a new heart. It's a new heart. Man, by nature, his heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We had to have a new heart. God alone can give that new heart. That comes in a new and spiritual creation. A new creation. And only those who are of this new creation overcome the world. Everybody else is overcome by the world. That's solemn. That's a serious matter, isn't it? And the stated truth of our verse, verse 4. The stated truth of our verse is that all who are genuinely born of God are overcoming the world. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. And so... Let's get down to some specifics. What do you say? How is the world overcome? 
By what means do we overcome the world? Well, of course, we've already read in verse 4 that it's by faith alone that this victory over the world comes. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, of course, this is not something we just learn intellectually here. This is incredibly important. has a great deal to say to us. Our verse is giving us the source and the means, the only source and the only means by which the world is overcome. And apart from this way alone, the world would overcome us. Human reason says, evil is a harmful thing to me. I know that if I don't quit doing this, and I don't quit doing that, and I don't give up this, and I don't give up that, it's going to do me real damage. It's going to hurt me. If I don't get rid of this thing or that thing, so that I must resolve and exercise my willpower to overcome this thing that's causing me a great deal of damage, whether I'm enslaved to alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever it is. Man always looks first to me and, oh, you need to go to some man, some psychologist, he'll help you out. Or you need to realize that it's going to destroy you if you don't quit it, so it becomes this fearful thing that some will quit things they know are going to harm them. Scripture doesn't do that way. It doesn't teach us that's the way the world is overcome. Human reason does. Many can abstain from outward evils, by the way. There are those who live relatively moral lives. They would never think of stealing. They would never think of taking another's life. But if they thought about it, they'd been angry enough. If they weren't restrained from doing so, they would at the time. They wouldn't take another man's wife. They'd like to. It's there. But they've learned by restraint that it would be awfully bad for them if they did so. Still self-centered. Still centered in self. Still self-seeking. Still worldly. If you had lived in Israel in the day of our Lord, there would have been a group that everybody there thought was the most righteous, the most holy people in the world there had ever been. They did everything right. Oh, they were outwardly moral, although there's some doubt about that in certain situations. They were called scribes and Pharisees. But the one who was holy the one who was righteous. This one who came exposed them for what they were. They hated him. Here was the light that exposed the darkness even in the self-righteous who thought they were morally correct and righteous. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like unto whited sepulchers, like graves that have been all cleaned up. And walk over them, he says. They're not aware of them. Before men you appear righteous. But within, you're full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness, like that grave that is cleaned up on the outside. He exposed them. Well, the point is, human reason starts at the wrong place. It's always looking for some human means. It starts always at the wrong place. The greatest evil of sin is not, by the way, what it does to you and me. This comes in regeneration. This comes when God begins a work of grace. This comes when 
conviction for sin really takes place. The evil, the horrendous evil of sin is not what sin has done to me. It's what it's done to my relationship to God. It's what it's done against Him. Not the difficulty it brought to me. It's until men come to this, oh, they can be all kinds of trouble and problems and having these difficulties and i got to figure out some way to overcome it. And I'm, this person, that person, this group, that one will help me maybe. <laughs> they always think the biggest problem is them and what it does to them. I read a psalm of a broken-hearted David. It's horrendous what he did. It's horrendous what it did. And yet David cries out as in Psalm 51.4, so under the realization that it has brought a breach between his God and himself against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You have an indication that God is working in you when you realize your sin is against Him. And this is the greatest evil of it. And then, who are they who overcome the world? Who are they? The one whose sights are removed from themselves, from anything they could ever do, from any ability they have whatsoever to correct themselves, from the sight that looks to men and means and people. And is directed only to one. And that is the Lord of glory. Who came into this world sinless. Bearing the nature of the Father. God a very God. But took unto him human nature through the womb of a virgin and came in all points like as we are yet without sin. He never sinned. And yet he was treated as if he were the worst sinner who ever lived. Why so? Why so? You ever read in the Gospel of John when they came for him in the Garden of Gethsemane? When Judas Iscariot did his work and betrayed his Lord and came with that group with their swords and their staves, their weapons to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. They asked where he was. Where is this one? They're looking for him. The Lord Jesus said two things, two words. I am. Same words he said to Moses at the burning bush. I am. What did they do? Anybody remember what happened to them then? They went backward and fell to the ground. They could not take him if he had not yielded to them. To be treated as if the worst criminal that ever lived. To die the most ignominious death possible on the cross. 
marred more than any man, according to Isaiah the prophet. He died for sin, but not his own. For the sins of others. Whose own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Adam's transgression, yes. And all the branches that came out from it. Not simply sin, he bore our sins, plural, also on the tree. Every sin old Ron State had committed. Every sin in his heart. And you who've been called by that gospel. He died bearing the punishment, the just wrath of God against sin in your place. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If ever I get away from that, I'm going to have a problem with the world. I'm going to have a problem with what's in me. The soul that comes alone to see Christ as its sin bearer as the only one who can cleanse and reconcile us to God and put away our sins all of them all sin put away through his death and blood all of them the ones that still play our memories he died for all of them. And he alone mediating between God the Father and us. Because he was of God and of us. He was God and man and one glorious person. And in his human nature was perfectly sinless. Taking our sins. And those who come to hear the gospel in truth and throw off all thought of any human work for righteousness, they come to trust him only, to look to him alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what the jailer at Philippi heard. That's what you and I need to hear. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record God gave of his Son. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. So that this faith that overcomes the world is faith in the incarnate Son of God, as in verse 5 of John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, pardon. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's never by self-effort or self-improvement or any kind that purges, purges our hearts from the world and produces the principles of the kingdom of God within. It's always and at all times our trust in our reliance upon, our confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Son 
of the living God. Those who truly have Him in their spiritual sight, those who truly behold Him by faith, those who truly know Him to be the Son of God, From eternity. Of the Father. Of the nature of the Father. Coming into this world in time. In the fullness of time. To redeem us. To God. Those who truly have him in their spiritual sight. And by the grace of God as sinners have come to look to him and him alone for their salvation. They also have living in them the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God is in those who by faith behold the Son of God. I love what the Lord said in John chapter 6 and verse 40. This is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son. And believeth on him. May have everlasting life. It is his continuing grace alone that gives us the strength. To overcome the world apart from God. The world that's apart from God and in sin. It's he only that gives us the grace to overcome it. I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I quoted various verses and just didn't give you the place. It's like that which Charles Wesley wrote in his great hymn that we sang. All my trust on the estate, not partly in thee and partly in man or partly in myself. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. All of it. Not part of it. Not a portion of it. All of it. All we need to overcome the world is in Christ and of him. This one who is God and man and one glorious person. He alone who can save and keep us. It's those alone who are in Christ who realize that they are no longer of this world. But they have their citizenship. Their home is in heaven. As in Philippians 3 verse 20. Our citizenship, our, our commonwealth. Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. You ever look up your family tree? Or what you could? That's interesting sometimes. Better not go too far. You might find something you don't want to find out. But anyway... Um, those who, I have hope that I never knew. Well, I, I knew some like my great-grandparents. I saw them when I was very little. I knew nothing about them, of course, because they died. But look up their history as much as I could, and I know they went to where the gospel was proclaimed. I know that they had a confession of faith in Christ. You know, <laughs> they would have had a citizenship that's in heaven. And that's where mine is. I look forward to seeing them one day. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So they alone who overcome the world. Not by looking from the perspective of the world, but by having their hearts set on Christ and him only. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. We sing that, is it real? Is it real? And thus alone, we live in the realm of heavenly and eternal principles, not those of the world, those of the kingdom of God. So in a very real sense, my dear brother and sister in Christ, what is our greatest battle? Our greatest battle is in keeping our eyes singularly to our Lord, to Him alone. Our affection squarely on things above, not on things on the earth. If you read the New Testament, you'll find that Satan brought his greatest warfare against the person and work of our Lord. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11 Verse 3 to the Corinthians says, I fear lest that by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. That means the very singularity of trusting him, knowing him, looking to him alone. Knowing who he is. Trusting him. Being his. And the only way of overcoming the adversaries by the power of God and by his grace alone. Just as in the fourth chapter, verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Even those John wrote to overcame the world through faith in Christ alone. Thus their most subtle attack came from Satan. As it always is, it was in the realm of the person and work of Christ. The adversary wants you to believe that which is false. But all that we need for time and eternity is in Christ. In Christ alone. By faith alone. God help us God, help us to see the nature of this sin-cursed world in which we live. And to overcome it by the only way we can possibly overcome it. By Christ. By His grace. By a living faith that unites us to Him alone. And stays upon Him. The very same way Paul overcame is the only way we overcome. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. And see, His grace only removes the love of the world and replaces it with supreme love for Him and will live in the realm of His kingdom. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. May God be pleased 
to bless this word to your heart and mind. 